The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! We're back for episode 67 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Lee, the Polynesian polar bear, Russell. I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. How can you do this to me? I gave you the best three months of my life, Harper. Uh, how are you doing, sir? <laughs> I think we've been doing this podcast longer than three months, but maybe maybe only the best three months were somewhere in the middle there, you know? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, Around the Slasher series, I think that was when you really hit your peak. You've really been coming coming downhill since then. So <laughs> I get that. I, get that. I wasn't going to say anything, but since you've recognized it, you know, I can, hey. I can just admit it as fact and move on. Yeah, we can we can admit it. Well, we'll put it in the wiki or something. Uh, let everyone know. Yeah. <laughs> the TMVDOS wiki. I I would love to see that. I'm actually afraid to to mention that because I'm I'm almost I'm almost worried that there's at least one fan out there that will actually start and do that, and then it'll just be like, "My God, you're wasting your life if you're doing a wiki on this podcast." Yeah, <laughs> you're kind of wasting your life just listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and being on this podcast. You know, this isn't something that should really exist. When we say they must be destroyed on site, it's really us. We're talking about ourselves. Yeah. They should be destroyed for bothering to do this. So Just the fact that we're here every week is like basically running on borrowed time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but we do have two sex comedies again uh, in our sex comedy series we're going to be do, doing, and we still have at least two episodes left to do after this as well. Uh, so we're going to be doing Summer Job from 1989, and we're going to be doing Bikini Drive-In from 1995. But before we do that, we've got uh, a nice little bit of comments to go through this, this time around. So again, thank you everyone for leaving comments. We'll start off with a comment from constant listener Henry, who we're both acquainted with. He says, I live in a rural area and I drive long distances on a regular basis. You keep me company on the road between the show, Daniel's Doctor Who podcast, and a few others. I stay happily entertained, awake, and sane. By the way, I don't listen to Daniel obsessively. I don't listen to the Red Dwarf podcast, but mostly because I'm not familiar enough with the show. I like a lot of what he brings to the table. I like how he puts things together. Having similar backgrounds in both science and science fiction may have something to do with it. I also think that he has a nice voice. He has a nice speaking voice. (laughs) This is my radio voice, Henry. Which is made all the more apparent by sampling some of the other Doctor Who podcasts out there. Oh, nice. So he's he's putting you guys up uh, in the higher echelon of Doctor Who podcasts, apparently. There are a lot of Doctor Who podcasts. uh, Henry was basically our first fan. Like that was like like I think we had put out two episodes and he was already sending us emails and such. I have I have enormous uh, thanks to Henry, not just because he says nice things about me here, but I mean he he has literally been listening to Always Face Man since episode one. I kind of I kind of poke and prod and make fun of him a bit, but like it was it was meant in good fun. I hope yeah. that came across. He says, "Sure, we don't agree on a lot of things, but so what? I have this crazy idea that listening to and trying to understand different ideas and points of view is healthy and enriching." Speaking of, don't hate the libertarians. We've been pretty consistent, and much more so than the leading democratic champions of progressivism when it comes to things like protecting civil liberties or not bombing, killing, disappearing, and torturing people. 
smiley face. <laughs> you know, I, I think I think I make my politics pretty clear on this show, and uh, you know, I'll just kind of leave it that for the most part. But uh, you know, one of these days, Henry and I are actually going to sit down and have a nice conversation, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, discuss some of these some of these issues in a lot more detail. But for now, I'll just I'll let it go. I really, I really, there's, there's no need to dig into that. No, I really hope though that you guys at some point you get them on uh, Oi Spaceman uh, and, and just just have a nice little little discussion. That'd be that'd be fun. Yeah, and maybe we'll talk about the Sunmakers because that's a story that's all about how Robert Holmes didn't want to pay his taxes. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm joking? <laughs> okay, uh, well, thank you very much, Henry, and we'll move on to our friend Stuart from the Midnight Movie Cowboys. In regards to our last episode, it's an excellent episode, guys. Uh, I own that Hard Bodies collection Lee was talking about. Yes, I need to see perfect timing. I hope you uh, followed the link that we provided in the show notes there, uh, Stuart. Uh, you can get the VHS rip uh, from that uh, site. That's basically the, pretty much the only fucking way you can get it. I would, I would encourage you to do that. And he says, uh, oh, and Daniel saying he didn't notice the nudity in Hard Bodies nearly made me black out in shock. <laughs> Yeah, I think what I said was it's not so much that I didn't notice that it was there as much as it's uh, you know I don't come to these movies as a as an adult looking for wank material. I think that's really what I was trying to say is like you know it's nice that it's there I enjoy it, but you know ultimately there's enough nudity in my life that it isn't you know sort of a, uh, a driving urge for me you know so uh, yeah and then uh, like as much as I enjoy seeing nudity in these films my perception of it just noticing it was was just having seen so many of these films there is a notably increased amount here compared to most of its genre so that was kind of the surprise for me but uh, yeah and, and and again also the biggest surprise was there was so much nudity and yet the movie was actually pretty decent it wasn't a sleazy yeah. <laughs> shit fest <laughs> and next a comment from our friend james murphy from the pex lives podcast which is excellent and everyone should check out he says, you two are perfect company for my late night commute home. The Hard Body's perfect timing show. You got this shit down to a beery art. Thanks again for the show. Uh, he says, I watched Green Room the other day. That was a film that really held its own for the longest time. Great time with a punk band on tour. Great gig. Fantastic tension after the inciting incident. Wicked goriness. But then it farted to a flat conclusion. Shame. Would have wanted more of Jean-Luc. Same day, I watched Elvis Nixon. Very entertaining, spacey as Nixon. It was a nice fit. I never really bought, what's his name, Fassbender, Shannon. I think you're thinking of Michael Shannon in that case. And as Elvis, but I absolutely think the movie is worth a watch. Only an hour 20 or so, too, which is just what you need. Yeah, I was actually kind of, I heard, I heard that was made. I'm actually kind of interested in maybe checking that out. Because Elvis is an interesting character as far as, you know, like being sort of like co-opted by Nixon as, uh, hey, we'll get this, we'll get this uh, pop star who happens to be a a country boy and a patriot or whatever to maybe endorse me. And at that time, Elvis is full in swing with his... uh, Karate mannerisms and drug use and uh... <laughs> yeah, late period Elvis. Just uh, you know, yeah, I haven't heard of that movie, but I'm I'm definitely. Uh, I mean, I definitely watch it. And uh, I I meant to watch Green Room this week, and then I just ran out of time because of work issues and such. Um, mm. But uh, I would suggest that the greatest film El- Elvis is other than Elvis, of course. But the greatest film Elvis is uh, Kurt Russell. I was I was hoping you would say that. Because <laughs> the podcast, if I if I'd said anybody else, I get that. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I think the best thing is just how fucking surprisingly good 
Kurt Russell was as Elvis. And it's like the most un-John Carpenter movie that John Carpenter made as well. <laughs> yeah, no, very much so. Yeah. I want to go back and uh, do some of the, now that we're talking about Kurt Russell, we should go back and do some of the early Kurt Russell films, uh, like the oh. Disney films. Like, oh, do, yeah. Like, the computer wore tennis shoes and, uh, what, it's Strongest Man in the World. Uh, I think that would be a fun little uh, episode sometime. Well, I, I think, I think like, every once in a while, we got to take breaks from these series and stuff, you know, and, and just, like, throw some episodes in there to take a nice little break. And I'm kind of thinking that maybe we, and I think you suggested this as well, we should do, like, some, just some fun little, like, actors we like, uh, yeah. retrospectives, you know, just pick three or four movies from them. Actually, we could, like, pick a shitload of movies from them and not necessarily review the movies so much as just, like, generally talk about them and yeah. chat about them. So uh, I'd, I'd be down for that. Uh, I'd, I'd love to talk fucking early Kurt Russell compared to later Kurt Russell. That'd be a lot of fun, I think. So Awesome. Done. And, uh, and anyone listening, if, if you want to provide suggestions for actors or something, you, you want to see us maybe cover that you, you think would fit with this podcast in general, uh, let us know. Uh, I gotta disagree with you, James. I don't think the uh, ending of Green Room farts out. I think it's actually a perfect kind of callback to sort of the exploitation films of the past. I think the way it ends just kind of ends realistically almost. It's just, yeah, uh, the the traumatic shit is done, the movie ends. Perhaps the only thing I don't like is there's a joke at the end that I think just kind of falls flat on its face that one of the characters says. But other than that, no, I, I really like the end. Um, I forgot to mention uh, <laughs> when, when I, when I mentioned, I watched it the other week, I forgot to mention that uh, Anton Yelchin was in it, who just recently passed away as well. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Which uh, it was, a, it was a great performance by him. Uh, very, very underrated actor. I think uh, very, very unfortunate. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I haven't. I I meant to see Green Room this week. I just didn't get the time. But you know, I, hopefully next week I'll, I'll get it watched, and then I can uh, weigh in on what I feel about the ending. Because yeah. apparently, there's a point of contention between two of my friends as <laughs> to whether this movie's ending is is worthwhile or not. Well, so. I tell you, well, once we get James on here for um, the skull, we'll have to grill him on Green Room as well. We'll yeah, just, definitely, you know, definitely abuse, abuse that man. And I think he would appreciate the abuse, really. <laughs> and finally, uh, Cameron Sullivan posted a comment on on the uh, post I left on the TMBDOS for anyone who wanted to make some last minute comments. And this is, I think, this is probably one only I'm going to be able to answer here on on the podcast uh, this time around. But he's asking, "What is your favorite Fred Olin Ray type of movies and his favorite film uh, of his to date?" So he's basically asking what my favorite Fred Olin Ray film is and what similar kind of movies would, would pop up for me or us. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know if Daniel, if, if you can, if you can necessarily throw any uh, ones out there, but uh, why don't, why don't you go ahead? I'm, I'm looking at the list now, so go ahead. Yeah. And I, will um, I think for, I think for Fred Olin Ray, I think a lot of people are going to go back and say that Hollywood chainsaw hookers is probably the one they think of when they think of him. And it's not a great movie. I mean, it's actually quite terrible, but <laughs> uh, it is fun. And that's that's one I still enjoy. I, I think mostly just because it's got uh, Michelle Bauer and uh, Linnea Quigley in it, who are favorites of mine. But uh, honestly, not to give away the review we're doing, but I think Bikini Drive-In is actually his best film. Um, it's, it's his most fun film, as far as I'm concerned. It's just such a well. I'm not going to get into the review here, but I, I, I would I would cite Bikini Drive-In as probably his best moment. Movies that are similar, I, I guess 
the two main guys you want to think of are uh, Jim Wynorski and David Dakota, who pretty much do exactly the same kind of stuff that Ray does. And their careers have followed similar sort of paths, like Wynorski and uh, Owen especially do a lot of softcore stuff now, and every once in a while they'll do like a horror movie. Shark movies are big with Wynorski at this point. But uh, Wynorski did Not of This Earth that we covered on, on the podcast. But he's also done uh, Death Stalker 2, which is actually really good. Probably best known for Chopping Mall, which is fun. You know, I think his The Return of Swamp Thing is actually kind of fun as well. It's not a great movie, but it's kind of fun. And, of course, the original Swamp Thing was uh, Wes Craven. And as far as Dakota uh, goes, a lot of his films these days have, are no interest to me because being a gay man, he sort of uh, slipped out of the uh, genre of doing titty flicks and moved into... I want to do movies where I see attractive young men wearing their underwear and running around. And, you know, fine, that's your prerogative, but those movies are definitely not made for the audience that is myself. So, uh, (laughs) But his earlier stuff, Dr. Alien, is fun. Nightmare Sisters and Sorority Babes and the Slime Bowl-Rama, those are both pretty enjoyable just because they, they feature the three sort of premier screen queens of the 80s. Uh, again, Linnea Quigley, Michelle Bauer, and uh, Brent Stevens. So um, those are a lot of fun. And I'd, I'd also say maybe uh, Creepazoids, which is just this kind of slimy, post-apocalyptic alien kind of ripoff that uh, has Linnea Quigley in that as well, uh, with a really nice shower scene. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't go looking in these movies for much quality. <laughs> a lot of them are so bad they're good. But, um, yeah, sure. I, I think that's where I would I would land uh, for that question there, Cameron. Yeah, I've seen. Uh, I was kind of looking at the list. I've seen a handful of these. Um, not enough to really like uh, comment on anything. I've seen uh, Bikini Airways. I've seen uh, lots of ones with the word bikini in the title. Ghost in a Teeny yeah. Bikini. I'm pretty sure I saw that one. Bikini Escort yeah. Company. Uh, a bunch of them showed up on like Cinemax in the you know kind of late 2000s when I had access to it. I haven't seen enough to really comment on the quality, but uh, they seem pretty fun, kind of goofy uh, you know, titty flicks, and uh, that's all they're really meant to be, right? So, uh, I'll say this, a lot of them are way better than um, Busty Cops. And they're... Yes, yes. They're, I mean, I think, I think honestly, if you look at like Jim Wynarski's stuff, especially, he's got better actors in them than the Busty Cops actresses. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Busty I mean, Cops actresses were, were porn stars. I mean, you know, they, yeah, were, they, yeah. were, they were not hired for their acting talent. <laughs> yeah, but uh, one, one of my favorites who shows up in one, all, a lot of the uh, Jim Wynorski ones is uh, Christine Gwynn, who's this mm-hmm. hot, hot little uh, American-Asian uh, little piece of business that uh, is, is not, well, only, not only looks great, but is actually a really good actress as well. So Put them on the list. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss <laughs> them down the line. Don't worry. <laughs> we will not finish this podcast until I've seen every single one of these films. We're just gonna oh Jesus Christ, Jim Wardarski films alone. That would be uh, oh here's episode two thousand eight hundred fifty three. <laughs> they must be destroyed on sight. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm yeah. in mean, this for the long haul. We're, we're great. It'd be sixty year old men fucking talking about titty flicks. That's great. Oh. <laughs> Is there something wrong with that? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm just putting it out there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, thank you, everyone, for the questions uh, and comments. If The best way to get in touch with us is on the actual Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Um, but, again, also, if you want to go to our Podbean site, tmvdos.podbean.com, uh, you can find the email address there as well if you want to directly message me. 
and uh, we will get to your comments. So thank you guys. Before we go on, we have some little uh, little little things to add on about a couple of the movies we reviewed in the last little while. I want to mention first that uh, Hard Bodies, I forgot to mention last week, something sort of crucially important if for any horror fans out there who would probably just want to shit on me for not mentioning this, but uh, one of the uh, geeks in the little geek squad there in Hard Bodies uh, is actually uh, Kane Hodder, who would go on to... Mm-hmm. Uh, played Jason Voorhees in a lot of the later uh, Friday the 13th films. And then there's just a whole array of actors and actresses in there who ended up in horror movies. Like uh, Rag was in Children of the Corn. Uh, Darcy DeMoss was in one of the Friday the 13th films. And a whole lot of them just basically showed up here and there in bit parts and horror movies in the 80s. So there's actually some uh, quite a bit of crossover from Hard Bodies to uh, horror movies uh, in, in that decade. So... Which isn't surprising. I mean, the the idea that there is this kind of crossover in terms of that the skin flicks and the the horror flicks kind of had sort of the same audience to some degree, and you know that that were kind of made by some of the same people. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all that you know you saw a lot of that. Yeah, um, I and just, uh, Darcy D'Amato is so adorable. I want to see more of the stuff that she was in because she's in so little of Hard Bodies. Yeah, Dar- yeah, Darcy DeMoss just like uh... oh DeMoss, excuse me, sorry. yeah. It's it's not like she's ever had like any really big role. Like she she went on from comedies to horror movies to uh, some softcore stuff in the nineties, mm-hmm. and in that point she unfortunately had some um, work done which wasn't very flattering. <laughs> she she looked great as she was just natural, but uh, but she she was a she was a victim of course in Friday in one of the Friday the Thirteenth films. I think it was part it was part six she was in six or seven one or the other but she had a pretty memorable uh both fuck scene and kill scene in that one so there you go uh nice. yeah and um yeah she's she's awesome i like darcy demoss quite a bit but uh i know you have something as well you want to talk about with uh perfect timing there daniel so yeah, i'll sound so, upon that yeah so i got uh I had, I had a sick day this week i i i you know i had to call in sick to work and uh, when you're uh, sick at home in the middle of the day and you're hopped up on cold medicine and you start thinking about what Lee had to say about uh, perfect timing, looking for the uh, – which you said you couldn't read the um, name of the person who sang the song, Breaking In, uh, or, or Building Up, excuse me. Building Up, yeah, yeah. Building Up. Sorry, I, keep, I, I had it right in my head and I said it wrong. So I started to go, well, let me go look at it just to see, you know. And I went down this rabbit hole of research, and I find it, I found out quite a few things about like so. You got to keep in mind, I'm I'm like kind of half out of my head, and I'm doing this kind of weird research, like you know, just pattern. And so I actually found some things out, and I'd like to. I thought I should share it with the audience, if that's okay. Right on. The name in the title, the name in the in the credits, uh, who sang uh, the the Bowden Up song, is Richie York, R I C H I E York, Y O R K E. I'm pretty sure this is a pseudonym. The reason being because Richie York with a T, R-I-T-C-H-I-E, York with an E, mm-hmm. is a famous mu- music critic. He wrote books about the Beatles. He was commonly in Billboard. In fact, if you Google Richie York without the T, the by far the most common thing you get are uh, Billboard magazine uh, reprints like PDFs. They were his name was misspelled. Like oh, that's really? how big a name. Like that's how that. So um, I couldn't find any reference to a singer to anyone named Richie York. So. I'm pretty sure this is a pseudonym. I'm also pretty sure it's a pseudonym for a woman named Brenda Hoffert. Okay. Uh, Brenda Hoffert is the woman who is uh, credited as the lyricist uh, for the uh, song, Building Up. She's married to Paul Hoffert. 
Paul Hoffert is a uh, the IMDb listing does not include him, but he is listed in the opening credits as the uh, music supervisor for this yeah, movie. Yeah. Paul and Brenda Hoffert they've been married for fifty years. Paul is now a in the faculty of uh, York University in Canada. Hmm. And uh, he's been an academic for a number of years. He has a had a long career in kind of music technology and such. He was uh, one of the kind of uh, people who was big in the software development for the kind of precursors of what became the MP3 file. So the oh, yeah. file that you're listening to right now, <laughs> Paul Hoffert had something to do with the algorithms uh, kind of way back in the day. The reason I think that Brenda is probably the one who sang the song is because uh, she. My guess is. She wasn't allowed to have a dual credit as both the singer and the the lyricist for uh, the movie. Yeah, and so she had to take this kind of pseudonym and then just like like you know, look, Lester Bangs sang this song. You know, that's what and it's just kind of a common <laughs> name out there. Um, we know that Brenda actually did sing uh, some stuff on some of Paul's work. Uh, Brenda uh, sang with her husband for a. She's kind of listed as a. Uh, uh, a musician, a singer on a movie that they did in the early 70s called Outrageous, uh, which is kind of their big thing that they did. Um, and they had a, a couple of award-winning children's music albums, including one called I Lost My Pet Lizard. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, Brenda Hoffert. She's now a photographer. If you kind of Google her name, you can kind of find her off in there. Um, and she's doing kind of it looks like a hobby that she's trying to kind of do professionally a little bit here and there. They seem adorable. If you Google Paul and Brenda Hoffer, you can find some pictures of them from the seventies. They are like very much that kind of hippie couple. And you know, it's, it's pretty awesome. But apparently Paul was uh, doing some, I mean, basically they were doing some, some work in the studio. They were doing it. They did a bunch of these movies all together. Um, my guess is she did the, she did the, the lyrics, she did the song and then just couldn't uh, like list her own name for both yeah um so uh that would be my guess if you put a gun to my head but um it was really hard to find actual like audio of her singing you know that was i mean there only there's very very little of it on youtube i will say and this is kind of the last thing i'll say about the music is that the york university uh, library archives have an audio tape of building up oh really it's actually in Paul Hoffert's uh, like effects. It's in like there. They just have hundreds and hundreds of like video and audio cassettes, like uh, interviews that they did back in the seventies and eighties, and all kinds of stuff. So if you go to that university, you could probably, and you're like an, a researcher and archivist, you could probably pull that out and uh, actually like uh, do a do a, a real recording of it, do like a real uh, digitization of it. So if we do have a listener who has the access to that, I would love to get a nice, good quality version of that without the uh, the movie stuff in the background. So yeah. Well, yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No problem. Uh, the other little bit of research I did was I found Papushka or Papusha. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, or at least I'm fairly certain I did. Um, Papusha Dimitro is her name. If you start Googling around, you find that the word papusha, it's actually, um, it actually means dolly. Um, mm-hmm. That's what the word actually means. If you Google Dolly Dimitro, you find her instantly. Um, she is now a relationship counselor. She uh, founded something called the Attitude Resource Center in the year 1999. They focus on abuse survivors and addiction, like uh, love addiction, sexual addiction, that sort of thing. Miss uh, Dimitro is the author of three books, including a book which uh, I don't speak French. So Mm -hmm. uh, all of her books are are published in French. The entire website is in French. There is no English option. I put it through Google Translate, so you'll have to just forgive me on this. But she did uh, uh, publish a book, uh, her most recent in 2012. It translates to Gypsy. Um, so uh, apparently she is a uh, Romani person, uh, yeah. and it kind of involves uh, uh, she's an incest survivor and, you know, that sort of thing. So, 
Uh, I couldn't find any reference to anything on her website that made like, oh, when I was in a couple of 80s uh, comedies or anything like that, I couldn't find any official confirmation that this is the same person. Um, if you look at the pictures on the website, it looks pretty much like it's got to be her. And there are some like videos of her kind of speaking, and it kind of sounds like the same voice. So so my guess is it just kind of sounded kind of the same mannerisms. My guess is this was probably not made during a great portion of her life. I mean, I think she's great mm-hmm. in the film, but you know, a lot of people kind of fall into it because they kind of have to. Um, and my guess is she was actually exactly what she looked like in the film. She was kind of a club kid who you know, was kind of adventuresome, and she was the she got cast as kind of the lead just because you know she, she was really good. Yeah, uh, she did a couple of movies and kind of fell out of that life. A couple of years later, became a counselor and is now apparently doing pretty well for herself. So that's what I found out. Nice. Very well done, sir. <laughs> yeah. And I can provide links to uh, to this resource center and uh, the um, uh, the York University uh, archives if you nice. want to. But if you if you Google up Paul Hoffer, you can find uh, he's all over the. I mean, you can find a ton of information about him and kind of the the backstory and all that sort of thing. So um, that's pretty easy to find. So yeah, I did actual research for this episode. <laughs> I, hope, uh, I hope nobody minds. Awesome, awesome. Fuck. Uh, if if we had the money, we should be the ones making the fucking DVD of uh, Perfect Timing. <laughs> I was sitting here and I'm thinking, like, if if I could get somebody to pay me to do this, I would absolutely start archiving these uh, in like uh, doing little documentaries and stuff about uh, the people who made these the, uh, some of these films, some of these uh, you know kind of eighties, seventies and eighties you know sex exploitation stuff. Um, basically, yeah. a softcore Rialto report. Like, you know, I would I would absolutely do that. And we can move on now to uh, what we've been watching as of late, and I'll let you go first, there, Daniel. Sure. Um, I'll go. I'll be very brief. I, I uh, had seen this before, but it came up on Netflix, and I hadn't seen it in a while. I watched the Albert Brooks film "Defending Your Life." Um, okay. First time in a few years. Have you seen this film? Uh, I've never even heard of it. No, "Defending Your Life" is. Uh, I mean, uh, it's uh, from I think 1990 or so, or maybe 91. It's uh, Albert Brooks in kind of the full-on Albert Brooks mode, you know, kind of the slightly later period Albert Brooks, kind of doing the uh, neurotic waspy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's This is a movie kind of about if you die and go to heaven, or but it's not really heaven, and it's uh, sort of like uh, the afterlife is run by, you know, hotel middle managers. That's sort of what the, yeah. what the afterlife is. And the whole thing is he's in this kind of holding area, this holding, you know, state, this kind of um, limbo where he has to uh, figure out. Basically, he's on trial. They don't call it a trial, but he's on trial for uh, whether he gets to move on or whether he has to go back and be reincarnated. So he's in a, he's always in a judicial purgatory. Yeah, he's in a kind of judicial purgatory. Um, and uh, the whole thing is, like, di- did you, over the course of your life, learn to conquer your fear? Because that's the thing that allows you to go on or not. Uh, Meryl Streep is in it. She kind of becomes the love interest pretty pretty soon. Um, she is absolutely... Uh, fetching in this. I mean, she, this is actually one of my favorite Meryl Streep roles. She's she's really good. Albert Brooks is really good. Britt Torn um, yeah. is uh, Albert Brooks's lawyer. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, he's great. Uh, there, there's a there's a lot of really nice stuff. This is a uh, a fun little movie. Uh, I mean, you know, I liked it a lot. I actually found this movie. I, this is actually a movie I own on VHS, oh, which yeah. I bought in one of those like when when they were like getting rid of the whole VHS thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can find a whole bunch of stuff for like a dollar. So this is one of those films I think I bought for a dollar or two from a, you know, from a blockbuster or something around like 2002 or whatever. And, um, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun little movie. Um, it's streaming on Netflix right now. 
I wouldn't go too deep on the philosophy. Uh, there, there's a, there's, <laughs> I like the philosophy less now at 36 than I did like 22 or so when I saw it the first <laughs> time. Um, but uh, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. If you're, if you're not a Brooks fan at all, it's, it's one of the overlooked gems, I think. Nice. I might do that. I'm, uh, I'm sort of a casual Albert Brooks fan. I mean, the thing I remember him from, weirdly enough, is like one of his more recent roles, like in uh, Drive. Oh, yeah, he is in that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This I need to rewatch that sometime. This is sort of the practical uh, gangster slash businessman. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny how, like, he's he kind of, uh, in his later career, he's kind of become just more of an actor. He's just kind of around a little bit. But yeah, no, Albert Brooks in the like the early eighties. I mean, he almost defines that kind of early eighties, you know, neurotic comedy for me. I mean, even more than Woody Allen. I think I think Woody Allen. I, I think I kind of see more as like the seventies. But yeah. Albert Brooks really kind of captured that zeitgeist in the eighties of this kind of you know neurotic weirdness, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, if you're Albert Brooks, the the thing that you fear the most about the afterlife being is. Were you able to conquer fear? Because that's ultimately all Albert Brooks has is he's just scared of everything. (laughs) Yeah, nice, nice. The only thing I'll mention, um, uh, a purchase came in the other day, Bad Day at Black Rock, uh, John Sturgis film. I love that movie. Yeah, and I watched that, and my God, do I love that film. (laughs) All right, put it on the list. We're doing it. (laughs) Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do it. Man, man, oh, man, oh, man. Spencer Tracy... At the tail end of his career in MGM, mm-hmm. just just given his great performances of one armed man who walks into a town where everyone's immediately hostile to him because he's asking too many questions and he's asking all the wrong questions to people. Uh, great selection of actors in this one: Robert Ryan, who's amazing in this, is the lead bad guy, and you got Lee Marvin and Ernest Borgnine yeah. in it. There's only one female character with Anne Francis, I think it is. Sounds uh, about right. It's been a yeah. long time since I've seen it, but I mean, I do love that movie. Yeah, but goddamn, great, great movie, great dialogue. Uh, I love how the story sort of progresses through their conversations. The tension is just built and built and built. It's a really good thriller. Like, I, I mean, it's it's sort of a combination Western noir, right? Uh-huh. Like, it's it's sort of sort of uh, one of those like where they just found that right formula. And actually made it work. I mean, it's it's. Um, I mean, it's legitimately a classic, and I think to some degree, a, like a, an overlooked classic. You know, I think. Yeah, I would say so. A lot of stuff from that era, that kind of Hollywood system from the fifties, has kind of been forgotten these days because we kind of think of like sort of the the kind of uh, kind of more gritty noirish stuff from the fifties, or we think of kind of the the big Technicolor you know westerns. But the the stuff that's kind of the the Hollywood programmer stuff, the stuff that was just like kind of the bread and butter of the cinema in the fifties has kind of been overlooked, uh, which is a shame. Yeah. I almost want to watch this in black and white and see how it will. I, I want to take the color, just turn the color off on my TV yeah, and watch yeah. it in black and white. Cause it, it, it seems like it fits just as well, or maybe even better in that way. But uh, just, just me, a lot. <laughs> yeah. It, it just reminded me how good Spencer Tracy is. I mean, he just, he makes it look so effortless. Like, wow. Like you just believe Everything he does, it, it, you know. there's a great little movie that he did that I know that's been coming up on my recommended Netflix queue uh, for a while. It's one of the Catherine Hepburn Spencer Tracy movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Desk Set, uh, Desk Set, um, and it's uh, all about uh, Spencer Tracy kind of working in an uh, office and uh, discovering that the uh, 
they're going to kind of replace a lot of the stuff that's going on in the office with a big computer mainframe. Oh, yeah. And uh, the kind of uh, comic stuff that happens around that and, you know, the kind of anxiety that people had about automation and, and stuff in the 50s. And um, and Tracy and Hepburn are just amazing in it, um, yeah. you know, as they are in everything. But uh, this yeah. is from, again, that's another one of those, like, 50s Hollywood, uh, you know, kind of, um, I think it's from 57 or so. And it's been a few years. I mean, it's been, I think, like, seven or eight years since I've seen this. Um, but... Uh, I remember, I remember it very fondly, and I know it's. You can watch it on Netflix right now, so uh, go check nice. it out if you. Have. Yeah. Nice, yeah, because that'd be the tail end of his, uh, really the tail end of his career. Because after after he quit with MGM, he was just doing independent stuff for up until he died in '67. So yeah. yeah. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. The Mathematics of Murder and Menace. The BB and BC podcast is your source for exploitation film discussion of B-movies. You can find the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio by searching for BB and BC podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly from the show's website located at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Let's go to work. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Earth? Destroy it. Send Rick and Penny in Wool Rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail, Hail Ming. Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the Visua screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud, too? 
Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? Oh, I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch some movies. And talk about them. The Hemming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Hemming. Breaking 2? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? (laughs) (laughs) We might destroy the planet if it's Flash Dance. Okay, so we can move on now for our first film. It is Summer Job from 1989. This innocent beach resort is about to realize the terror. Is about to encounter the horror of students working their summer job. Well, it's showtime. Yeah! Stick with me and I will make... Your summer unforgettable. I don't care which guy I get as long as I get one. Well, tell your man and what really one is that, or you're just tickling your pocket. You're brave, you're gorgeous, and I'm in love. What a lovely hand. telling daniel uh off air i hope your synopsis uh sparks my memory because (laughs) holy fuck (laughs) directed by paul madden written by ralph gabby wilson starring sherry rose as kathy uh who actually know from tales of the crypt demon knight from 1995 i think she's pretty much one of the only uh, people in this who kept on with any sort of career uh also starring james summer as jack emmy lynn baxter who i've seen in a couple things as susan Carrie Mayer as Donna, Renee Sugart as Karen, George Orts. Oh God, I hate that. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce his name because I don't even like him. I don't like his fucking character, fucking Herman. Um, and I'm not even gonna go for the rest of the characters because who gives a fuck? Uh, Daniel, get to your synopsis. <laughs> sure, it's not a very long synopsis, uh, believe it or not. Uh, Coed college students from around the country vie for spots working in the glamorous world of a Malibu beach resort. 
and the diversity of the group of new employees extends all the way to having both a dude from Oregon and a dude from Texas for the guys, and both a stuck-up rich girl and a gold digger on the girl's side. <laughs> Over the course of the summer, they'll spend a lot of time trying to get into each other's pants and have a series of so-called wacky misadventures, including a tit-for-tat involving purple dye and bath products. Also, a fat kid learns to exercise so he can become a lifeguard. One of the interchangeable blondes gets a social disease. A cut-rate Steve Gutenberg-Tom Cruise hybrid gets pranked with a small incendiary device. And a creepy young man with strange ideas about what constitutes sexual contact does something unspeakable to a frog. Will yeah. the group of misfits be able to avoid having too many guest complaints and get to have their big party in the film's final act? I just know you're on the edge of your seat with anticipation. This must be the worst movie we've picked for the uh, sex comedy series. <laughs> I thought... <laughs> I, I, this is the only reason I picked this is because I watched it a bunch as a kid, and I was like, "Okay, we have to, we have to visit it. We have to revisit it." This, um, I might have some things to say about like that statement you made when we get to uh, the next movie we're going to talk about. But uh, okay, yeah, okay, kind of, kind of uh, okay, um, well, we'll see. But this is this is terrible. This has no plot. There, no, there no, is, no. There's, there's nothing here. The the only thing that's really here, um, you know, it's it's uh, some pretty people, you know, kind of taking off their clothes. There's nobody with any kind of personality. Uh, the lead, the, the 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 main girl, Karen, is is pretty, uh, you know, she's a good actress. You know, she's the only actual actress in the thing. Yeah. You know, she's she's yeah, but she's done a bunch of TV and stuff yeah. these days. I mean, you know, she's she's a working actress. I I have an enormous respect for that. Um, there's a penthouse pet in the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, there are too many characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody has any uh, particular personality. They try to give him kind of, you know, oh look, this guy's from Texas, and so they give him a cowboy hat. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, that's that's kind of it. And then when he's not wearing the cowboy hat, you can't even tell which one he fucking is. And he's got uh, a he's got a he's got a steer's head on his fucking car. Right, right. Oh, you got to be yeah. from Texas. I mean, it feels like they kind of did the uh, the police academy formula, right? Where they ca- they yeah. were trying to kind of do the oh, we're going to get this group of misfits together, and they're all going to have like little wacky misadventures. Except they forgot to write them fucking personalities, you know, that lasted beyond the first. Le- it's like it's literally like oh, I'm from Oregon, and so therefore, like I have you know personality. It's like no, you you don't have any personality. No, no. And here here's what they also forgot to write. They were they forgot to write any real conflict in the film that has any consequence at all. I mean right. there's there's a little bit between the two main girls who, you know, have this little rival rivalry, but it's not like serious. Like comes to a head with the fucking body dye and the shampoo dye thing. Right. That, that's about it. I remember the I remember the shampoo like the the dye thing was being like a like a central plot point in the film you know like yeah. and it's funny like I almost just wrote the synopsis and just said this is what I remember seeing when I was ten years old from this you know what I mean <laughs> like uh, and, and it probably would have been pretty much all the stuff that you thought about I mean I remember the frog I remember the dye I remember uh, the lead girl finally shows her tits at the end mm-hmm. I remember the stuck up redhead who does not get naked in this film. No, um, but I, I I still enjoyed looking at her. Uh, she did no, that she, one that one part where she bends over there when she's doing the room room service. That was right, fun, right? And she does her little swirl thing in the maid's outfit, you know, yep. which is which is a lot of fun. I actually went. I was trying to find out more about her just to see what shells she kind of went on to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of trying to like, oh well, I found some stuff on Perfect Timing where I never thought I'd find any information on. This one was even harder to find any. Yeah, isn't that weird? There's, like, there's, there's nothing. There's just and this nothing. Is, 
this is actually like a big, like, well, not big, but it's actually like a legit studio production kind right, of thing. Yeah, I mean, this, this, you know, like nobody in this really went on to do anything else except for a couple of people. Um, yeah. The actor who played Herman, uh, he kind of went on. He's he's kind of been a, a working guy. Have you um, seen? Uh, did did you Google pictures of this guy? I did not. Okay, if you Google pictures of this motherfucker, depending yeah. on what picture you see. He has like a really bad hairpiece on, like doing like just whatever shit he's done later in his career. Uh, and then there's also shots of him just totally bald as well, where he finally gave it up apparently and just decided to finally shave his fucking head like a normal person. Uh, yeah, you, I, would, you I, would know I, all about that. I hate this fucking character. Yeah, I, no, he's terrible. I, he's an I awful hate, character. I wanted to punch him every fucking time, and the guy kills a fucking frog and laughs about it. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I mean, this is sociopathic behavior, right? I yeah. mean, this is straight up socio sociopathy. Yeah, I, you know, for for me, this is this is just kind of like big and dumb. I think I have enough memories of it from a, from being a kid and watching it that I kind of like got through it, you know, fairly painlessly. But you're right. There's nothing here. I mean, it it really is just a bunch of like horny teenagers sitting in. You know, um, probably the one interesting thing is, uh, you know, you you always got to think about like the level of humor in these films. You know, and mm-hmm. so you can think about like a movie about okay, the the characters are supposed to be like nineteen, twenty, twenty one, and they're about like it's about oh we go get our summer job. But like if it's pitched like if the characters are like eighteen, it's really pitched at people who are like fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, right? you know, and so a lot of the characters' actions kind of make more sense if you just kind of assume they're really supposed to be, like, 14 years old emotionally, you know? You know, and then suddenly uh, Herman just is, like, the, the weird kid eating paste in the corner, essentially. You know? God, man. That, I hate this yeah. character. Like, I, he's, he's a terrible character. Um, my favorite of the uh, of the girls is actually the, uh, the girl who's supposed to be from Hawaii. Oh, yeah. The actress's name is Carrie Mayer. Mm-hmm. You Google that. Did you did you Google that by chance? I didn't Google her. No. Yeah. If you Google that, this turns out to be a location, like a, a, a political subdivision in the Philippines, <laughs> which makes me think. Um, yeah, I'm guessing that's probably a pseudonym. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. As is uh, the redhead is just uh, she goes by Chantal. Chantal, yeah. And uh, she's in one other film, and apparently uh, even uh, did like a. Very brief appearance on General Hospital um, a couple of years after this film came out. I even went looking for like a General Hospital wiki to see if I could. Uh, <laughs> like, I was hoping that the because like the Doctor Who fandom is so deep that yeah. like you know like we have like actors' names for like the guy who's like third guy on the left and like yeah. story and you know, um, and I was really hoping there would be like this like exhaustive listing of like every actor who's ever appeared on General Hospital, and I could like click on it and it'd be like, and today she's uh, she owns a pet hotel or something. And I go, oh look, you know, that's yeah. it. Um, I even went on Facebook like looking for this. Like there is no like I found nothing for this. The only way I think you'd ever find any information about this is to actually contact like the original casting director and and like like get them on the phone and just and start asking questions. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's the only way you could dig up anything else. There's a there's a there's a really terrible music act at the end of the film. Oh yeah, uh, orchestra with a K. Orchestra with a K. Yeah, no, no. Who uh, who who features two past members of ELO? Is that is that a good thing or? That's a terrible thing. That's yes, a yes. terrible thing. That the that band is terrible, and they're like a featured thing. They're like the hot. They are the climax of the film. Essentially, it's like this band it's, is playing. It's a, 
it's a good ten minutes out of the film. I mean, yeah. it's it's a it's a nice big chunk out of the film. Uh, and also, uh, you know, they they uh, they get to knock off work at like three p.m. Did you mm-hmm. notice that detail? Yes. It's like that's another thing where like yeah, this is this is meant for like ten year olds. So um, yeah. yeah, it's terrible. I don't think it's the worst thing we've watched for this show, but it's uh, it's one of them. Oh man, it's in the bottom five. You know. Oh man, this I. Like I told you uh, off air, I watched this today just to uh, re uh, uh, indoctrinate myself in uh, the the experience that is summer job, and I came out of it not knowing what the plot was, what the fuck was going on. You uh, know, I kind of like this idea of kind of getting these characters together and then just kind of giving everybody a little like subplot that you're doing. You know, like. Mm-hmm. On paper, that kind of works, but like once you're like, they just forgot to write anything interesting, you know? Like it would make sense to kind of bring it together. Okay, we got like eight people. Hey, there are just too many characters. I mean, I kind of mentioned they're like, like some of the blondes, I just couldn't tell apart at some point. Like I just, I just, I just got to the point of like, you haven't given me any reason to want to care about which one is which at this point. You know, they're they're pretty blondes. They, they all kind of look the same. (laughs) They changed their hair and I can't tell who they are anymore. Yeah. Um, That's the the big problem. I mean, there's a crabs joke, you know, the girl gets crabs, you know, so, you know, you know, I don't know. Oh, I wanted the crabs. I'll give you crabs. Jesus you know, I completely missed that subtext when I was a kid watching it. Like I knew, <laughs> like he gave me crabs. I'm like, well, that came out of nowhere. It's like, no, it didn't. It was like blatantly obvious, you know. So, so, as, like, so as a kid, you're like, oh, she couldn't get crabs at the restaurant, so they're gonna go back to his house and get some crabs and boil them up and eat them. Is that what you were? I don't thinking? know. I don't know what I thought. I was just like, <laughs> I didn't get any of that. Like, I mean, like, why is he like licking a crab? You know, why is he getting like crap on his tooth? You know, Jesus sort of thing. Like, I just, I didn't get it at all. Like, I don't think I understood like crabs as a venereal disease until like it was explained <laughs> to me. Like after I saw this film, oh, that's what that is. Okay, they're like lice. Okay, I got it. Yeah. As much as, much as I hate to keep harping on Herman here, goddamn, I hate this character, and I am kind of convinced that all the hookers he slept with to finally become the big ladies man who knows what women want I'm pretty yeah. sure he stabbed at least two or three of those hookers afterwards because you, know, you have a more interesting version of this movie playing in the back <laughs> of your mind I can tell where he just becomes a serial killer yeah I like that it's kind of like, kind of like there's a giallo film happening off stage you know because this this motherfucker doesn't blink like he's no, just he a big bug eyes straight the of whole course, of course he ends up with the uh, with the redhead the, the yeah, second redhead you know which is, and, a, uh, which is a crime against humanity if, if I may say so. Uh, well, which is, they're is, equally sociopathic, right? You know, yeah, because, you know, yeah. But uh, at least she's a decent actress. Like I, I honestly say, she's probably the second best actor in the film. Probably, uh, yeah. I would go. Yeah. I would. I would go for that. Yeah. Yeah, but man, this I have so little to say about this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm done. There's nothing we need to say. Nothing else about the film. Don't watch it. It's not. It's not. It, you can watch this for free on YouTube. Go watch Perfect Timing again instead. Don't you, watch this. You can only watch it for free on YouTube. You can go to the same site that you can get Perfect Timing, RareLust.com, mm-hmm. and you can download it as well if you really want to. But yeah, here's the one note I wrote down. These were the picks of 600 people who applied for this job. There is that there is that element to it where like you know they 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 cast this giant thing like like I can write a better version of this script like right now on on mic without like like where isn't it just wouldn't it be more interesting to look at like what real people 
like who work at one of these resorts, like their sexual misadventures instead of having like mm-hmm. I don't understand like the entire conceit of like we've come from around the country, sort of that like it, it goes nowhere, you know, because they all just end up look, looking and acting like California beach boys, you know. And, so it's like who cares? The only the only trope it gets right is the nudity. Other than that, it doesn't pick up on any of these sort of tropes and tired story points of previous films in the genre. And if it had done that, it probably would have been a way better film. But this one just like does nothing. It's just, yeah. there's nothing. There's fucking nothing. And it's sad. Uh, th- this is for the most pathetic masturbator out there who just needs tits and nothing else. You know, that was, that was me when I was 11 years old. Yeah. yeah. No, I get so, it. You know? so if you're, if you're 11 years old and you're listening to this podcast, summer job might you be for you. You shouldn't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> Yeah. If um, you're if you're 11 years old and listening to this podcast and you're looking for you know spank material, hopefully we've given you better opportunities for other kinds of spank material than this. You know, if you have access to this podcast, you have access to Perfect Timing. Go download that and watch it. Watch Perfect Timing. Watch the cheerleaders or something. Even like cheerleaders are hard bodies. Yeah, hard bodies. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. So so fucking terrible movie. Uh, And I think we can just move right on to uh, Bikini Drive-In from 1995. Watching them show off? Yeah, sorta. We've gotta get a life. Do you mind finishing my back first? Really? What are we gonna do? You're not going to summer school. I'm not going to summer school. What are we gonna do? When you were young and pretty. Maybe we should get jobs. Whoa. When did getting a life turn into getting a job? Look at those show-offs. Time to get a little bit more sun. Carrie! No one's around. It's all right. Come in the lotion. Thank you. I hate tan lines. Me too. (laughs) Sun feels so good. I just hope nobody sees us. There's nobody around here. Gotta learn to relax. I'll relax when I know what we're gonna do this summer. Excuse me. Jesus. Nobody around here. Get an eyeful, buddy? Are you Kim Taylor? Then I've got something for you. Well, who are you? I'm your grandfather's attorney. Well, he died over a month ago. Yes, I know. I'm the executor of his will. He had a will? 
Well, he didn't have much, but whatever he had, he left to you. How much? Well, it's not money. Well, then what is it? His business. He had a drive-in theater outside of L.A. in Copperfield County. And it's all yours now. What am I supposed to do with the drive-in? Well, that's entirely up to you, Miss Taylor. He simply instructed me to give you the business. You'll find all the papers are in order there. Good luck to you both, and good day to you. Thank you. Directed by Fred Olin Ray and Steve Latshaw. Written by Steve Armogita and John N. Wiley. And uh, starring Ashley Ray as Kim Taylor. Richard Gobby as Brian Winston. Ross Hagen as Harry. Peter Spellos as Carl. Sarah Bellamo as Carrie. Uh, also known as Roxanne Blaze, by the way, is in her uh, porn star persona. Yep. Uh, Rob, Rob Vogel as Bobby. Steve Barkett as Sheriff Bloodstone. Nikki Fritz, one of my personal favorites, as Susan. Tom Shell as Tom. Conrad Brooks, uh, who some B-movie uh, aficionados might uh, recognize as uh, Oscar. Uh, George Costas as Daryl. Michelle Bauer, another one of my personal favorites, is Diane Lynn. And Forrest J. Ackerman as the man with insect repellent. Uh, and also a personal favorite of mine uh, who I'll get into. But um, Daniel, your synopsis for this one. Best friends Kim and Carrie lie on a beach, watching their doofus boyfriends play with a frisbee or something. <laughs> Kim's boyfriend is a real winner, looking something like Brian Bosworth would if his head were made of clay and you hit him in the face with a shovel. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep going, keep going, I'm sorry <laughs> No, 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 not at all I wanted to get that laugh in there Don't worry, he's not going to be dating her for too long After the boys go off to have fun together And the girls have removed their tops A lawyer approaches the girls on the beach And informs the girls that Kim's grandfather has passed away And she is now the owner of his old drive-in movie theater she is incredulous at first, seemingly unaware of the existence of the drive-in, but this is contradicted five minutes later in another scene when she finally recalls spending much of her childhood at the drive-in, which also has swing sets on site. Is this common? <laughs> anyway, the first 45 minutes of the movie are about as riveting as the above description if I read it in the dullest monotone possible and read an Inya soundtrack underneath it, despite the presence of two or three Skinamax style love scenes and a sequence where busty young ladies have to take their tops off to watch the side of the drive-in. There's also an evil land developer looking to buy the property so he can build a mini-mall, which is only exacerbated by the fact that the bank is about to foreclose on the property if the new owner can't come up with $25,000. Thankfully, the evil land developer's son comes to the rescue of the silly incompetent girls, realizing that drive-in movie patrons love sleazy cinema and girls in bikinis. The second half of Bikini Drive-In is much more lively, as we see loving recreations of terrible old drive-in pictures and lots of bikini-clad girls losing their tops. There's also a subplot involving an aging B-movie actress who is tricked into coming to the drive-in and gets a bit more than she bargained for. The film ends with the greedy capitalist actually making the first rational decision any greedy capitalist in a film like this has ever made, realizing that the ugly supermall idea is much less lucrative than just going in on the beginning drive business would be. Exactly. And uh, I'll say right off the, out of the gates, I really like this movie. And... Uh... I liked the I liked the last half. I mean, the first half I was literally like, "Why are we watching this?" The first forty five <laughs> minutes, I, I'm like, "This is why are they making these women deliver dialogue?" Was was my <laughs> my entire because like you know it's from the same guy that did Busty Cops, right? And Busty Cops doesn't do this shit. Busty Cops gives three lines of dialogue and then like okay, and they take their tops off for a while. Like that's the whole point, you know, of Busty Cops. 
This is just like I mean, it, I I I was like, this is interminable. I thought you were getting even with me for Busty Cops by making me watch this at first. No, no. What are you talking about? This is Fred Owen Ray at his best. This is before he stopped giving a shit. This, I see. And this is this is like the sort of. Uh, perfect homage to these sort of films from the 70s. Like, uh, I was speculating last episode about how um, Perfect Timing was, like, kind of one of the proto, oh, we got to get together and make some money to to save the uh, whatever. And in reality, and you were correct in saying, no, that's more of a reaction to it. In, in reality, it's like uh, Gas Pump Girls from the 1970s, which we're going to be doing next, next episode, by the way. Um, this is basically a fun comedic homage to that sort of film and I really enjoy it. I really like it. Uh, also, the fact that it just has wall-to-wall fucking B-movie starlets, B-movie personalities, directors, producers, etc., etc., throughout this entire thing in cameos or in featured roles. So, so once I once I uh, watched the movie and then I started looking at the cast list, I realized that was the point, that I, that mm-hmm. I just didn't recognize any of these actresses or, you know, didn't, didn't have any, like, connection to them. And so it wasn't like, oh, and that's so-and-so. I just... Like it, it's very obvious. Then, kind of going back and rewatching it, like, oh, you you basically put them on screen, and you've got two women standing there, and it's like, oh, where did you show up from? And then you know, they kind of look, and it's very clearly I'm supposed to know who these people are, but, but yep. because I don't, I'm just kind of like I, I was kind of very disconnected from it at first. Um, I, I don't I don't want to make you think that like I hated the movie. I really liked the last half. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the last half was a lot of fun. I just thought like the first forty five minutes could go away completely, and we could have gotten more of that. Like I yeah. didn't need the uh, and now we got to save the uh, the drive in plot. Basically, I really just wanted to see like let's get to the bikini drive in and watch the kind of goofy movies and see the girls kind of do their do their party thing, and then you could still kind of do the character beats and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I also hated the. Um, the bumbling gangster stuff, the uh, which was just as painful here as it was in Busty Cops, the kind of really stupid uh, cop movie stuff, you know, from Busty Cops. Here, the uh, the the father who's uh, you know slamming the gangsters' hands in uh, a jelly jar, um, yeah. and uh, you know was was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, you're laughing at it. I thought, are these guys supposed to be four years old? Like that was that was kind of my immediate response. Like, uh, I literally thought that one guy was like mentally incompetent. <laughs> you see, and, and I guess that's probably where the big uh, difference lies here is that I'm basically familiar with everybody in this cast, right. so I'm who this ma- movie is made for, mm-hmm. like specifically. <laughs> so, so like you're. Your I get point that. Is- I'm not again. I'm not trying to shit on it like from that perspective. No, but, no, and you know. and I'm and I'm not going to defend the story or the acting or anything because it's pretty across the board, just kind of plain and not anything really different than anything Fred Olin Ray's done as further after this. But this is just like a sort of a combination, like a sort of a, a watershed moment in a way for this, just like bring all these cool B-movie people that everyone knows and put them in roles. I mean, the two gangsters are uh, Ross Hagen and Peter Spellos. Ross Hagen was a famous, like, B-movie Western actor who moved on to, like, lots of horror movies and B-movies and stuff like that. I mean, actually, his last role before he died was he did voice work for uh, the video game Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, uh, I saw that. Yeah, I, yeah. Did the, uh, I looked at some of the cast lists, so, yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, Peter Spellos has been in all kinds of B-movies. Uh, he's probably known best as Orville Ketchum in uh, I Think It's Hard to Die or something like that. It's one of the, uh, I can't think of the fucking name right now, uh, Sleepover Massacre or something like that. Fuck. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get chastised for that one. But, uh, yeah, I, I just see, I see all these actors and uh, I see all these directors and stuff that were featured here. Like Fred Owen Ray himself has a cameo in this. You got Jim Wynorski in a in a brief cameo in this. You get all these old time actors, especially like Gordon Mitchell, who was this uh, strongman sort of actor, had the really good body and stuff. He was in all kinds of Italian like uh, Hercules kind of movies, like Sword and Sandal kind of stuff. And then he did a bunch of spaghetti westerns. I just enjoy it. I, I enjoy seeing all these characters like bunched together. I see these. I enjoy these fake trailers and stuff that they put up yeah. on the screen for the for the thing, and there was a couple of real ones as well. And um, seeing these movie posters of these obscure films that are real in the actual yeah, yeah. drive-in. I mean, I, I really love all that element to it, and I and yeah. I get that. Like, if I if I recognize all the actors, this would just be a ton of fun. Like, I I totally get that. You know, for for me, it really was just kind of the uh, kind of just the like didn't get it on a, on, a, on a first watch and then on the second watch like okay now i kind of like all right i, I kind of understand where it was trying to, to come from but I, I did i did just kind of sit down and rewatch it and i started timing things out and i'm just like why does it take us six minutes to do this scene <laughs> this scene does not need to take six minutes and there are like four lines of dialogue and it's not there's not even nudity in it like why are we doing this um and i know a lot of the skinamax stuff kind of does that but i mean yeah. just like Particularly, I mean, I, I kind of went into detail on the like scene on the um, on the beach, just because it's like this is the, why are we why is this scene here? You don't like it. It's literally it's not even shoe leather. They're not even moving around. They're just sitting there, and we're just waiting for the plot to come find us. You know, like, and we've got the two boyfriends, one of which is only going to be significant to the degree that he's going to get a love scene with. Uh, the girl in a few minutes in the hot tub, and the other one is uh, just going to completely leave, leave the film, and then she's going to date the the son of the uh, the Wazali land developer. Yeah, the the, the yeah. second boyfriend's going to be the dumbest motherfucker ever. I mean, uh, let's see. No, I'm not going to help you fix the drive-in. Okay, well you're gone. You come back later and get knocked out, and that's all you do. The other guy's like, sure, I'll help you fix the drive-in, and he gets to bone his girlfriend in the hot tub. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's great. I love the car dance. The car dance was great. Yeah. I love Forrest Ackerman. Forrest know? Ackerman, yeah. yeah. Um, uh for, for those who don't know, uh Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Famous yeah. Monsters. Unfortunately his uh host, which was a sort of uh perpetual museum of horror and sci fi film memorabilia, is now gone now that he's dead and this collection has been sadly spread around everywhere to greedy collectors and stuff like that. But um a big, big name and sort of basically, basically, he's like the first super geek. Didn't he have the original King Kong? I, I think he might have. Yeah, I think my wife might have met him then, because uh, Shannon oh. kind of grew up outside of uh, San Diego, and like her, her parents were kind of they they kind of grew up out of L- out of L.A. and that sort of thing. And apparently, um, Shannon tells me the story that she actually was so frightened uh, when she saw King Kong that when she was a little girl. And, uh, like, her mom basically knew the guy who had it, which I guess was Forrest Ackerman. I'm mm. putting this together now in my mind and, like, literally, like, called him up. It was like, can we come by and can we show my daughter that this is just a toy? I mean, you know. Yeah. So um, yeah. I now think my wife might have met Forrest Ackerman. I'm literally like, hey, that's... That's I mean, cool. Yeah, yeah. Because I would have loved to meet him, man. 
fucking. Yeah. He he. Like, I mean, he should have been, been like four years old or something. I mean, it wouldn't be. Yeah, like... but he's 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 legitimately the first real sort of super fan geek. He was doing this stuff before anyone was doing it. I remember. Um, I kind of know him. I mean, not just from you know his, you know the kind of the writing and stuff, but I remember uh, seeing he had like a uh, a regular kind of guest hosting gig on a. Uh, sci-fi channel um there was a show that they did called the sci-fi buzz back in the 90s mm-hmm. and he would uh kind of show up occasionally and you just get to see like oh look at all the stuff at his workshop you know look at all the yeah. like kind of look at all the, the movie memorabilia kind of stuff um so i have fond memories of forrest ackerman i didn't recognize him off of like just kind of seeing him um but then once I, i'm like holy shit that's forrest ackerman that was uh so then i had to go back and rewatch it and i'm like oh yeah it's a fun little scene too with the the, the bug bomb yeah, lots of charming young ladies in this too. I mean, you know, it's yeah. it's real. Again, once you get to the to the bikini drive-in, and you get kind of the girl dancing, and you get you know, and, and you get like kind of the, the they're all kind of coming on to her and that sort of thing. And uh, you know, there, there's a lot. Of, it's 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 got its charm, and it's got its energy, and it's got this this fun is kind of happening. And it and it's you know, it's kind of silly, but it's like in that kind of fun, we're all just kind of in on the joke kind of way. I mean, for me, I just I got a really bad taste in my mouth from that first half where I just I didn't care at all. You know? So, yeah, I, I really like like Sarah Bellamo. She's probably my favorite from this one. Oh, she's great. And of yeah. course, she was uh, what is it, Roxanne? Roxanne Blaze, yeah. Yep, uh, and I did I did search for her, and you can find some of her hardcore clips on uh, various websites if you uh, go look for them. See, here's the thing I'll say is like she's experienced in this stuff, so she actually made the softcore scene like look a bit more realistic than you usually see in these sort of films, and where you know where they have the typical camera angles and soft music and and soft lens or whatever on on everything. It's just like yeah, she actually put put a little effort into it. Uh, although uh, I'll say like Nikki Fritz as well, when if she does the, uh, the trope of, Oh, she's the unattractive nerd until she takes her glasses off. And then all of a sudden she's beautiful. And, and then she, she, had, she was great. I, I loved her in this. I mean, yeah. she, she was, uh, I mean, she might've been my favorite, but you know, I'm always going to love the, the girls with glasses. It's a, it's a thing for me. So. Um, it takes off the 1950s clothing and puts on the bikini, yeah. and all of a sudden, oh wait, you're you're a fucking supermodel. Oh, so like, oh wait, so you've got like that's the like you wear 50s frou frou housewife, and then you have like the like that bikini sitting yeah. in your closet at the same time. Like, it, yeah, I believe this completely. <laughs> you know? And then, and then, of course, when the two nerds have their sex scene, all of a sudden they're like experienced at having the most experienced kind of porn star sex scene they can they can put together. You know. Uh, wrapped in celluloid, of course. <laughs> yep, yep. And then there's a, a little bit of a BDSM scene with the uh, the, the cop yeah, who yeah. Uh, comes in and then gets uh, gets his ass beat, literally. You know? Yeah, Becky LeBeau. Uh, I think she was going after, under a different name here in the uh, cast, but uh, that's Becky LeBeau. And she was actually in um, Not of This Earth. She was the uh, stripogram girl that comes oh, to the nice, door. Nice. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else we got here? Uh, this was shot in six days. Uh, and Becky LeBeau actually provided like four of the songs to the uh, soundtrack here. So, oh, nice! Yeah, nice. might uh, pull one of those up for the uh, in song. Uh, You're what... not going to use orchestra? <laughs> no, I'm not going to use or- <laughs> orchestra. <laughs> Jesus Christ! No, I hate. I don't. E- I don't ever want to think of that movie again. Honestly, it's okay. Just, fair enough. Fair enough. It is terrible. I gotta say, uh, I'm personally not against tan lines, but I totally support our main female leads' decisions on the matter. Uh, I like how the uh, typical trope of the uh, cleaning up the drive-in montage 
leads to nudity, of course. Uh, of course. You know, oh, gotta you get, get some water. Right in. Yeah. You get some. You get some water, and then you get like they just clean their faces with the with their shirts. You know, they they get their their faces wet, and then they they have to pull their shirts up. Yeah. Oh damn! Up. Look what I did. I got my shirt. Look what I did. Oh no! Yeah, no, that's that's up there with the uh, two young ladies sitting and uh, talking about why do guys like boobs? I don't quite understand that. Yeah. On the list of tropes that these movies do, you know. So. <laughs> I'll also mention uh, the character who plays Oscar is Conrad Brooks, who is in several of Ed Wood's films, uh, and he's still acting today. He's still alive, eighty-five. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So uh, yeah, and I, I like this. Like it, it was a lot of fun. The budget was one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, which seems excessive actually when you look at what's on screen. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that being said, it, it did. I am pretty. Not sure. a lot of people in it, though. I mean, I can. Yeah. I would believe that. I mean, just just getting this number of like you know, especially. If, I mean, even if everybody works for scale, essentially, it's still going to take. Quite a bit. I mean, there there are a lot of actors in this. You know, yeah, so. yeah. But uh, I, I think it's fun. Like it, it's for you uh, people out there like me who know all these like old seventies exploitation films and stuff like that. Like this is kind of a callback to it. I mean, this is an era where most drive-ins died in nineteen eighty, yeah. so it's like fifteen years after they're all dead anyway. But it, it, it's a callback to that sort of thing, and it's a lot of fun. And all the people acting in it are obviously having a fucking blast, being yeah. stupid and saying silly shit and. There's a lot of titties, and yeah, it's it's actually pretty good. So um, I dare say, not in the bottom five of all the ones we did for the sex comedy series. If you're gonna if you're gonna say that, I'm just gonna have to disagree with you because I enjoy it quite a bit. So no, 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 it's it's not in the not in the bottom five of all of our sex comedy series. It's certainly not of all the movies we've done. I, I would definitely not not uh, agree with that. Um, Summer job definitely in the bottom five of our sex comedy series. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's funny. Like last week, we kind of had two movies that we both really enjoyed, and now this week, it's kind of like, yeah, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry that my uh, my access to titty comedies was so limited that I had to like live off of summer job when I was like, <laughs> you know 11 years old. <laughs> that like that was the that was the height of what I had access to because I really did watch this movie like a bunch as a kid. <laughs> nice. I must have watched it probably like 20 times. Holy fuck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah, I'll, I, I'll never watch it again. Like, it's over. Like, this is this is one... If this one gets lost to, to posterity and no one ever finds it again, I'd, I'd kind of be okay with that. Yeah, why is this one, like... This is the one that deserves to die. Like, perfect timing and uh, uh, one night only. Like, yeah, they, yeah. Should, they should be on a double feature DVD. Summer Jobs should just be lost to the ages. Like... <laughs> I would still like to uh, detract down what happened to some of the people in it because there was this other movie like Lauderdale that came up a few times. It was kind oh, of yeah. directed by the same person. Um, and so apparently a, a handful of the cast members kind of went on and, and did that as well. But I'm not going to track that down. There's no. <laughs> <laughs> if Chantel was in it, I probably would have tracked it down. Yeah, Chantel would be worth it. Even. even and, I did, and I did do this. So you'll, you, this is the level of research I went into. Even Mr. Skin didn't have a lot of information on this film, wow. <laughs> you know, which goes to tell you like how low the bottom of the barrel this was in terms yeah. of any kind of information about it. But um, yeah, I uh, I would have been interested in seeing more from this uh, Carrie Mayer person too, who uh, yeah, you know, yeah. was was really cute, and she's not in enough of this film. You know, it's funny like all the people that actually have like charm are not like they, they kind of like are not very front and center like because the the dude from Oregon who's supposed to be our kind of uh 
like clever Tom Cruise, Stephen Gutenberg kind of guy who's supposed to be kind of the cut up and he doesn't do anything, but he's yeah. still kind of got a little bit of charm and he's kind of a little bit of a good actor. And then um, Carrie Mayer uh, is, is the uh, girl from Hawaii. They just kind of go off and do their own little like, oh yeah, we've just kind of fallen for each other and we're just going to hang out and make out. And then they just kind of leave the movie. And I think they yeah. had the right decision really. You know? Yeah. <laughs> As far as uh, Bikini Drive-In goes, there's like multiple releases. Uh, for the longest time, you can only get them on VHS, but there's several DVD releases. The one you want to look for is the Retro Media Entertainment one from 2012, which is a special edition. It has basically all the sex scenes still in it because they were actually cut out for uh, for TV. Uh, I mean, there was I think there was still nudity in some of the TV versions, but uh, the the sex scenes were. Even though they were softcore, they were kind of explicit enough where they felt like they, I guess, they had to chop them out. So, um, yeah. Do you so know if this ever aired on like Up All Night? Uh, this was, I think, this was on Up All Night. So um, I might have. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thinking this might be one. Like, if, if I saw it without the sex scenes in it, I might have seen it back in the day and on Up All Night, but just not remembered it. But yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, just throwing that out there. I was thinking just now as you were talking about it, like, oh, if there was a version without the sex scenes, I might have seen it as a kid. Although I would have been like 16 or 17 when it would have aired on Up All Night, and I think I had moved beyond Up All Night by that point. <laughs> up All Night was really for me like before I had access to you know the internet. Yeah. <laughs> all right, right on. Uh, I guess we can uh, move on now. Uh, Daniel, tell everyone where all the multitude of places they can find you on the interweb. Uh, you can find me at oyspaceman.com. That's probably the best place to go. I do a Doctor Who podcast and Red Dwarf podcast over there. All of uh, these episodes also get posted over there. We're kind of part of the same family. Um, I also do a weekly or biweekly uh, column over to rootatronpress.com. Uh, most recently, I did a piece talking about race relations and the uh, noir film I mentioned last week, No Way Out. Mm-hmm. Um, Sidney Poitier, um, kind of talking about uh, the way that we kind of think about race. So if you uh, liked listening to me talk about uh, shitty titty movies today, go check out what I have to say about uh, racial violence and uh, the way that we treat, uh, you know, black bodies. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's totally worth it. Totally, totally connected. So same audience, really, for both yeah. things, I think. You, know, so. <laughs> you can, of course, check us out on tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find all of our links to our iTunes, our uh, YouTube, and, of course, our Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook, which, yet again, the one place you can get to us and get your questions, comments, requests, criticisms heard and responded to. Next week, it's going to be Gas Pump Girls, and I think we agreed on Euro Trip. I We're believe. doing Euro Trip and Gas Pump Girls next week, which is going to be an interesting little twofer. Two yeah. very different films, but uh, yeah, excited about uh, that. I think I think we'll end up liking them both uh, better than we liked uh, fucking Summer Job. Uh, I, I got a feeling. I have a. I, I'm trying to think. What is the what is what's the worse than Summer Job? I mean, Oasis of the Zombies was worse than Summer Job. I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hell of the Living Dead, I would say, is is like more interesting, but like on par in some ways. <laughs> Thematically, it's a bit worse, I guess. Yeah, summer Job is just there's just nothing to it, like yeah. where you know, like it, it's just it's just kind of like it's just kind of lies there. But now, uh, now yeah. if you took the incredibly inept SWAT team from Hell of the Living Dead and then stuck them in Summer Job and had them start shooting people, would that be a better movie? That. <laughs> Especially yeah, they, probably. Especially yeah, yeah. They shot Herman like over and over again. The, the, the inept, the inept SWAT team, and versus the inept uh, resorts <laughs> kids who are you know 
terrible at their jobs at uh, you know waiting tables at a resort. You know, really. Could we, have, could we, could we instead of bringing um, an orchestra in for ten minutes, could we just have ten minutes of them machine gunning Herman to death? Would that be like uh, like the like Inglorious Bastards uh, yeah. shooting Hitler shooting in the face Hitler, style? Exactly, like yeah. ten whole minutes of shooting Herman. <laughs> <laughs> the dark heart of summer job is really that Herman is a serial killer in the making. Yeah, and we did like like the, there really is a Giallo film like beating within this and like the uh, because the this is the film. Hold on, summer job is the film that so, so like Argento made a Giallo film right, and Herman yeah. is the um, is the uh, like the lead, and he's like going off and he's killing people, but the whole. T- conceit within that film was that there's another film being made and that film a summer job. You see what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. basically like no name actors, they're all kind of coming out here. Like Herman just killed all the other actors in the film by the end. And that's why nobody else ever did anything, you know, like the one girl goes on, you know, so um, that, this is now my headcanon for summer job. Nice. I, I like it. I like it. Yeah. What I just said was more interesting than anything in summer job. Way fucking more interesting. Yeah. It almost takes us to like a cool guys kind of scenario all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. yeah. No. All right. Uh, with you. Yeah. yeah. But next week, gas pump girls and Euro trip. That's going to yeah. be a fun episode. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for joining me, Daniel. We will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. 
There you can also find links to us at iTunes and YouTube, as well as our Facebook group link, which is the best way to get in touch with us. We welcome all comments, questions, movie review suggestions, and criticisms, and we do our best to respond to everyone. You can also find us at Daniel's recently launched OispaceMan.com, where you can find his sci-fi theme podcasts about Doctor Who and Red Dwarf. Thank you. Drive through.